God, our Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. We thank you that you have uh, allowed us to live in a country like Australia where we have such ease of access to your word. I pray that as we go through this first little section from Luke's gospel, that you will help us to, uh, to think clearly and think, um, think well about how, how we can understand it and think about who you are as our God. I pray that you will also uh, allow me to speak clearly and to speak faithfully uh, from your word and that we will know how to apply it well in our, uh, in our context. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in life, in life we crave some assurance, right? some assurance or some certainty that the things we believe are real. I remember when I was in primary school, uh, the girl that I liked, like Josh said, this is the final service, so everything's going to be revealed. The girl that I liked when I was in primary school, um, I don't think I've actually told anyone about this, but anyway, she had a four-letter name, and of course, it's an even number, so I would always do everything by even numbers. I know, it's weird. Uh, But with my backpack, I would always double-strap. Back in those days, it was always single-strapping. That was a cool way to do things, but I would always double-strap. When I'd eat candy, if I'd pick up some Smarties, it would always be like two or four or six or eight uh, before I could eat it. Even when I walk, even when I walk, in the little picture here, um, like when you think of... uh, Yeah, so when when you walk on a footpath that has like the bricks and stuff on it, uh, I would make sure that I would only step on an even number of lines. As well. that's, that's how sort of rigid my thinking was. Uh, but of course, I was trying to convince myself that if I were to keep this up, if I kept doing things by even numbers and thinking of her name, then she would somehow fall for me. Right? Of course, it didn't help when it got to year five and she wrote me a Christmas letter, and I was like, see, it does actually work. Right? So like, that, that was sort of my mindset as a primary school kid. Uh, but then, of course, you know, I got older, um, we went to different high schools. I started including odd numbers in my routine again. Uh, but yeah, I, I wonder if you have ever tried to convince yourself of something like that. Maybe not that extreme, but have you tried to convince yourself uh, to, yeah, to say that what you believe is real? And by nature, that is what we do. We crave for some assurance or some certainty that the things we believe are real. Well, what we see in our passage today, especially as we head into Christmas, is not a matter of childhood superstitions or coincidences, but the work of a holy, perfect, and faithful God. Now, yes, this will be a bit of a change of pace from what we've been looking at, uh, especially through two kings, working our way through two kings, but I think it's still a good idea to keep one eye on that part of the Old Testament as we launch forward to the New Testament And as we see from the get-go, from the get-go in Luke's uh, gospel here, he acknowledges the other accounts that have been written by Jesus, uh, about Jesus, by his eyewitnesses. And then from verse 3, so look with me, verse 3, Luke then says, It also seemed to me, seemed good to me, since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first to write to you in an orderly sequence. And as you read through Luke's gospel, as you read through the book of Acts, which he also wrote, and keeping in mind that Luke was a physician and a historian, you see Luke's great attention to detail, the order and structure that he includes in his writing. And so that's what he flagged at the beginning, right? He presents his purpose and the direction that he is going to take for writing his gospel account. 
And so he begins by introducing us to a righteous couple, which is point one in our outlines. Now, notice here, so Luke begins from verse 5. Right, verse 5, in the days of King Herod of Judea. Right, so we notice, what, notice what he's doing here. Right? He's, he's actually telling us a date. This is how they would uh, typically record dates back, back in those days. Uh, it's kind of like if I said, in the days of Joshua Hesford in Bexley North. Then you would know it's about 2021, 2022, hopefully longer than 2022. Um, but yeah, so that, that's how they would share dates. Right? So then, um, and here in verse 5, that's how Luke is beginning. So in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest, there was a priest of Abia's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. Now, status-wise, status-wise, Zechariah and Elizabeth would not have been considered important as such. Right? You see, yes, Zechariah was a priest, and he did belong to the section of Abia, but that wasn't really that special. Why? Well, because Abia was actually a direct descendant of Aaron, and as we're told in Leviticus, all the male descendants of Aaron are to be priests, which means there would have been heaps, a lot of priests. There would have been a lot of priests around. Most figures say that there were around 20,000 priests at that time. Okay, so here, Zechariah is just one of many priests. Right? He's not one, nothing special, not sticking out. But we are told here in verse 6 that both he and his wife, Elizabeth, were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But, in verse 7, they had no children. They had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. Now, as you may know, back in those days, barrenness was considered a stigma, a curse. It would have been seen as a sign of God's disfavor, but of course, we know that Elizabeth's barrenness was not a result of God's disfavor because we've just been told that both her and Zachariah were righteous and blameless. But as we see, Zachariah shows up to work one week, what would have been otherwise just a standard week, um, but it actually leads on to be one of the most significant points in history. So, which is the next point in the outline, point two, the prophecy. Now have a read with me from verse 8. So when his division, this is Zechariah, when his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. Now just to kind of wrap our mind around this, right? So remember there are around 20,000 priests. And so what they did was they would divide them into 24 different sections. So you could probably imagine there will be around or over 800 priests per section. Each section would serve at the, temple, uh, at the temple a week at a time, twice a year. A week at a time, twice a year. And then every day, so in a given week, every day through the casting of lots, a priest from the section, which is on duty at that time, is selected to burn the incense in the holy place. And because there were so many priests, this privilege could only come about once. And there will, of course, there will be priests who would never actually get the opportunity to burn the incense during their time as a priest. 
So for a priest to burn the incense, which is also a picture of prayer rising before the Lord, to burn the incense, to have this responsibility was considered a priest's dream. Right? This is what they dreamed of. And so for this particular day, the lot for this responsibility fell on Zechariah. And so when it came time for him to go into the temple, to the holy place at the hour of incense, the rest of the assembly were praying outside. And as he's in the holy place, so from verse 11, look with me, verse 11, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and overcome with fear. And so try, try put yourself in this position, right? A day that you have waited your whole life for, it finally arrives, you're excited, you're a little bit nervous at the same time, you're in the holy place burning the incense and praying before the Lord, and then, boom, there's an angel that appears. Of course, maybe you might be thinking, wait, out of 20,000 priests, nobody told me there was, about an, there was an angel in, in here? Right, so of course, of course he'll be startled, he'll be shocked, overcome with fear. But then the angel brings words of comfort to Zechariah in verse 13. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And then with those words, the angel unveils an incredible prophecy of what is to come. So look again with me from verse 13. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You see, the angel is aware that this is something that Zechariah and Elizabeth had been praying for, a child of their own. And then continuing on to verse 14, there will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. What will John's responsibility be? Well, from verse 15, he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him, so him meaning the Messiah, he will go before the Messiah in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. You see, John's responsibility was to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. He himself is not the Messiah, but he is the one who points to the Messiah. And you might recall that this prophecy is actually the very same prophecy that ends the Old Testament. In Malachi chapter Malachi chapter four, oh, there we go. Malachi chapter four. Uh, verse 5 to 6, it's the same prophecy that's actually shown here in Luke chapter 1. So the fact that it's resurfacing here allows us to see that this event actually is the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So after over 400 years of silence, this silence is broken with a reference to the one who will come to prepare the way for the Messiah. This is huge. But let's listen to how Zechariah responds. So look with me at verse 18. How can I know this? Most of us will figure that if there's an angel standing in front of you, that's probably a good enough sign. But Zechariah, he's like, how can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel, we're in verse 18. He asked the angel, for I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. 
Now, it's not that Zechariah didn't want to believe. No, of course he wanted it to be true. But he's wanting this reassurance. He's wanting certainty that this will actually happen. But we also notice how quickly he places the nature of his circumstance above what God can do. He looks at himself, thinks of his wife, and thinks, well, the logical conclusion is that we are well beyond childbearing years. But if we truly believe God for who he is and who he says he is, then there's actually nothing logical about putting our circumstances beyond God's reach. And I wonder if this is also uh, sort of a, uh, an area that sort of speaks to our humanity too, in how we view God and how we respond to him at times. Do we confine God into a box with limitations that are like our human limitations? Or do we see God as the sovereign creator and sustainer of the universe? The God of the impossible. The God who speaks and things happen. And that's why it's a wonderful blessing for us to go through uh, the Growing in Prayer book, as you saw before, uh, in our gospel team. Right? It gave us an opportunity to think deeply about how and why we come before God in prayer. When we pray, do we actually believe that God will work? Are we prepared for him to answer our prayers? And even if he doesn't answer in the, in the way that we might expect him to. And so if you do find yourself asking, how can I be sure about God's promises? And if you are a Christian, well, this is why it's so important for us to remain in fellowship with one another so that we can keep reminding one another of God's promises, to keep reading through his word, and pointing to those great promises that he has fulfilled. And if you are someone who's still exploring, uh, then let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to see the evidence for yourself in the Bible. Feel free to chat to Josh or to chat to myself or to Marcus. Uh, if that's something that you would like to get started with, uh, we would love to help you uh, work your way through that. You see, God works in amazing ways. And the scriptures always remind us that his ways so far supersede the way that we operate. Isaiah 55, uh, verse 8 to 9, it reminds us that, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, this is God speaking, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration, for as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, did Zechariah not remember the other examples of God's blessing in the Old Testament? Especially his blessing to the barren women of the Old Testament. To Sarah, Rachel, Hannah, the Shunammite woman. And what's even more ironic is that Zechariah's name means God remembers. You see, God never forgets his promises. And so in response to Zechariah's doubt and his unbelief, the angel answers him in verse 19. Have a look with me, verse 19. I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. And this brings us to our final point, lost for words. Now, remember, while all of this is happening in the holy place, the other priests are still outside. 
They're still outside, they're praying, and they're beginning to get a little bit worried that Zechariah has been in there for a little while, because usually the longer it takes for you to burn the incense, uh, the more concerned the other priests are that you may have just been struck down dead in the holy place. Right? And that, like we see this in Leviticus chapter 10 with Nadab and Abihu, right? because they, they offered... Um, they had an impure offering to the Lord, so they were struck down. So people were a little bit worried. But Zechariah, he eventually comes out, and he would have been expected to pronounce the priestly blessing. Right? The priestly blessing, you know, like after we have the final song here, uh, there's usually a final word or a blessing that will come from the service leader. Uh, so that's what they're expecting here from Zechariah, to bring the priestly blessing. Instead, he's unable to speak. And everyone's like, okay, he's definitely seen something in there. He's definitely seen a vision in there. And then from the end of verse 22, it talks about Zechariah. He kept making signs to them and remained speechless. So you can kind of imagine the frustration, right, of wanting to share good news with others but not being able to communicate it. It's kind of like when I'm playing tea party with my cousin's two-year-old and she's all excited and she's flailing her arms around but all I'm hearing is like, you, I, like she's excited obviously but you can't make out what she's actually trying to say now not only are we imagining a frustration but there's also this excitement within Zechariah now, he probably couldn't wait to get home to Elizabeth to be able to tell her the good news or to sign language to her the good news and then of course we see that God as always in his proper time keeps his promise. From verse 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. She said, the Lord has done, done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. And so what we see here is not only a sign of God's goodness and kindness, to Zechariah and Elizabeth. No, this stretches beyond them to the whole of humanity. You see, John's coming is the cue at the sign that something greater is coming. Someone greater is coming. I kind of think of this like the end of Iron Man 2. I'm not too sure how many people have seen this before. At uh, the end of Iron Man 2, and usually at the end of these type of Marvel movies, they have this secret scene, right? They have this secret scene. Can anybody remember, or anybody who might have seen it, remember what the secret scene is of Marvel, Iron Man 2? It's this one. Right? Like, when we see this, my friends and I in the cinema, we're like, we know what's coming. Right? We're like, oh, Thor is coming. This guy here is coming. Right? And it's kind of what we see here. Right? You see, as soon as we see, oh, John has been conceived, everyone's like, we understand what's coming. We see what's coming now. Like the Messiah is coming. But this 400-year build-up to this moment, they see that the voice, the voice in the wilderness who cries out that he has been conceived, everybody knows what's coming next. And that is the excitement that we see. And John the Baptist himself, when we get into, into John's Gospel, chapter 1, he points to Jesus and says, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, this is the assurance of the hope that we have through Jesus, the one who came to take away the sins of the world. 
And that is what we celebrate at Christmas, the greatest gift that has been given to humanity. And so when we see these Christmas decorations and lights in our neighborhoods and in the shops, let's be reminded the Messiah is coming. When we hear Christmas songs on the radio, let's be reminded the Messiah is coming. And when we greet one another, when we fellowship with other brothers and sisters, rejoice and remind one another that the Messiah is coming. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you uh, so much for this time where we uh, have an opportunity to reflect uh, on the year that has gone and to, to be thinking about Christmas and the meaning of Christmas. I pray and thank you for this passage that has reminded us of uh, your faithfulness to your people and your faithfulness in keeping your promises and that even in, uh, when we feel like you might not be answering prayers or not answering it in ways that we expect, that we can know that you are still sovereign and in control of all things and that you work according to your own timing. I pray, Father, that we might keep reminding one another of this and to also share this good news of, uh, of the Lord Jesus with other people in this Christmas and festive period, uh, that they too might come to know who he is and to put their trust in him as their Lord and Saviour. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.